0: seven verses we have this morning to be among the most beautiful and significant in all of scripture. They're the basis of our anthem this morning and the power of God's love radiates through it. It is Isaiah 43 beginning at verse 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, for whom I formed and made. We need not be afraid. Thanks be to God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Shall we pray? Bless, O oh Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Walter Carr is a young college student in Alabama. He's on his own, and because he's on his own... He's making his way by himself. He got a new job with a moving company, and his first day on the job is 20 miles away. Now, a kid on his own doesn't always have reliable transportation, and as would have it, his car would not run. He knew the day before, and so he negotiated and wheedled and dined with his his friends to get a ride, and none of it was coming through. So he decided that he would walk it 20 miles. As a long-distance runner in high school, he figured he could make it in less than eight hours. So he ate a dinner, about 8 o'clock, of bologna and eggs. Took a nap, woke up at midnight, and started out. By the way, he took a bat and a baseball with him just in case he encountered unfriendly dogs. By 2 o'clock, he had gotten to a nearby town, and by four o'clock in the morning, his legs were burning and he was exhausted, so he sat down to rest for a bit on a curb. A kid sitting on a curb at four o'clock in the morning is hard not to notice, and a police officer pulled over and asked how he was, if everything was all right, and he said, yes, everything was fine, but he is doing his best to get to this job. And he's got to keep going. The officer said, well, when was the last time you ate? And he said, well, dinner. And he said, well, you don't have enough on your belly to get that far. And he said, can I drop you at a restaurant? And he said, sir, I, I just paid my rent. I don't have enough to buy food. So the officer took him to Whataburger bought him a chicken biscuit, and when he had downed that, he bought him another one. He was near the end of his shift, so he took him as far as he could take him and told him that if he stayed at this little church where he dropped him off, that the next shift of officers, he would let them know and maybe they could take him the rest of the way. Well, he got worried that he wasn't going to get there on time. And so he started off again. But sure enough, this officer pulls up and takes him the last four miles. When he gets there, the officer explains the story to the homeowner who's moving, and she insists that this kid lay down and get some rest. And he says, oh, no, 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 this is my job. I've got to have this job. And so he worked all day, and then when the day was over, he played with her through three children with basketball for a little while. She was thoroughly amazed at how he could have that kind of stamina and grace as a young man. So she called the moving company, told them the story and the remarkable character of this young man, and decided to start a GoFundMe campaign, hoping to raise four to 6,000 dollars in order to get him some reliable wheels. They raised 44. They bought him a $6,000 car, put the rest in a fund, and got him a financial advisor. There's no such thing in this life of faith as anyone needing to be alone. Because most of us have never found ourselves exiled, forced from our homes with the loss of country and everything familiar to us, it's really hard to imagine the brokenness and isolation of the Babylonian exile. The sheer damage to their hearts and spirits how crippling it must have been to their hopes and dreams as God's people and how they would ever find a way to be community again. For them, it was unmitigated disaster. Their temple was gone. Their identity of God's people was gone. It's really hard to imagine the devastation, and the loss of identity. However, it is into this very devastating experience that God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks, saying, I created you. I shaped you. I saved you. I redeemed you. In the midst of the disaster, God's word comes proclaiming hope and good news. This is a reunion. And God says, not only have I called you by name, but you, you're mine. And in that is an enormous promise. This relationship is not only real, it's personal, and it's intimate. It's claiming and gives them and us family. They're so beloved that God says he's going to ransom Egypt and Africa for it. So precious are they that Eugene Peter's message states it this way, God was willing to sell the world for you. Today's scripture even has a name for it. Verse 1 and verse 7 bookend the verses with an inclusio, a belonging, affirming that because we have been created and formed and named in God's image, we are invited not only to remember that heritage, reclaim it, but to understand this is a new day of hope. I'm fascinated by how much of our world limps along today as if it was in exile, having no name and no place. Hurting and quiet, cut off from community, and my friends, we do it to ourselves. Look around your neighborhood. Doesn't matter if you're packed in a city or a leafy suburb or in the rural setting. Neighbors often now don't even know each other by first and last name, and I'm just as guilty. I know three of our neighbors in a whole neighborhood. The one to our left, the one in front of us, and the one to the right. I cannot tell you their last names. We've been there two years. There's a guy that walks his dog by our house at night. I know because our dog sits waiting for that one to come by and play. I had gone outside to bring her in because she wasn't coming back to the door. And I look out, there they are playing in the dark, just having a great time. The guy introduced me to his dog. I don't know who he is. It's easy to be anonymous, where no one knows your name. You don't have to risk getting too close, too involved in other people's messy lives. We see ourselves as having relational freedom. I don't have to claim you and you don't have to claim me. Because when you put a name with a person, put a life around that name, things begin to look Different. I got a text this week from Kay Panovic. She's our conference communications person, attends our 11 o'clock service, and she asked if I knew of any government workers in our community affected by the shutdown. Shut and I said, "You know, I don't know." But she offered a link saying, "There is assistance. I don't know necessarily if there is any, but if there are, they feel the floodwaters overwhelming and the trials of fire they are going through is leaving them feeling more isolated, alone by the day. Would we leave them there out of our convenience? God's intention in this scripture is that we never be alone. That we never experience the separation of being exiled from God or from each other. Because we have been created and formed and redeemed, rescued, called by God's name, we're to know that each is precious in God's sight, honored, God says, I love you. We are included in this family of God. We belong. And after decades of darkness, the light's beginning to come up. The deep doubts of these people are being replaced by the assurance of God's care and protection. Not only does God seek to comfort the ones he loves, but to define them as God's people and what that claim upon their lives is going to mean. Your naming. Do you realize that when we baptize children, we always look at the parents? The children have had their names for months. We know who that child is. But we dare to say what name is given to this child. Because they're being named as a part of the family of God. What does it mean to be adored and claimed by God? What does it do to our lives? At the very least, it means we can't leave people nameless and lost And without hope, the family of God has to make a move. This week in my devotions, I read about uh, the Quakers. In 1788 in Pennsylvania, they freed their slaves in anticipation of the country making slaveholding illegal. Together with free blacks, abolitionist evangelicals and slaves who were willing to risk their lives, Quakers were one of America's most vibrant faith-based justice movements. And they contributed to the beginning of peace in this country in an enormous way. George Fox says this, Founders of the Religious Society of Friends, people must be led out of captivity up to God. Be patterns, be examples that your carriage and life may preach among all sorts of people and to them. Then you will come to walk cheerfully over the earth, answering that of God in everyone. Where would we be today without their development of the Underground Railroad? And the way that that system began to reshape our thoughts and our lives and our community. We can do this, my friends, because we have within ourselves the redeemed and freed and formed beloved shape of God that invites us to stop being afraid. Now notice that Isaiah is not promising that there's an easy path for the people of Israel or even for us. He doesn't say if you pass through the waters, but rather when you pass through the waters. Swirling water will come right along with the challenges of the raging river and searing fires. But when those come, God promises to be with us. When obstacles arise, God will be, in the words of Walter Brueggemann, powerful and compassionate toward us. While God doesn't impose these difficulties on us, God does choose to be powerful and compassionate toward us in the eye of the hurricane. It's no mistake that Isaiah says, when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. When the waters and the rivers overwhelm, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned and not consumed. Understand the presence and power of God. That's how we do these things. Jan Christmas in, Christman, I said that earlier. Jan Christmas in Bible study on Wednesday brought a little article. It was a, um, a snapshot of a Facebook post. It was from a cousin's daughter by the name of Rose Smith. Rose is 31 years old, doesn't have any children of her own, and I'm not quite sure if she's married or not. But she read about a three-year-old child, a little boy, who is uh, dealing with kidney failure, needs a transplant. So on Tuesday, Rose was wheeled into an operating room to give a three-year-old a chance at new life. This is some of what the Post said. Join me in praying for him as he goes through the surgery and recovery. Pray for his parents. Can't imagine having such a sick child and being fearful for him. Pray for my parents who are supportive and struggling with the fact that I don't have children of my own, and this places me in some risk. This was rough water for them. Pray for the surgeons who will open both of our bodies. Pray for the person who's going to carry the kidney from one operating room to the other. Pray that it works. Pray for the staff at Children's who have laughed with me through the tough stuff and said that it's okay if I swear when it hurts. And while you're at it, praise God for the scientists and researchers, mathematicians and donation coordinators. Pray for the families dealing with heartbreak as they say goodbye to loved ones unexpectedly, but whose organs are going to help someone else live. Today is the day. Today is the day. What would happen in this world if we chose not to be afraid and to live into God's promises? It's no mistake that this scripture falls on the Sunday we celebrate Jesus' baptism. God's Power and compassion are most clearly seen in the life of Christ. In his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus would come to offer himself to show us with his own life that when he passed through the storm on the Sea of Galilee, God was with him when he was overwhelmed by the opposition of the scribes and the Pharisees, he was not overwhelmed. When he walked through Holy Week toward his own death, he was not burned. And even in his death on the cross, his life did not end. Easter morning is the revelation that God works powerfully in and through his life and ours so our baptism just as jesus is meant to tell us that we belong that we're included in this family of god of god we're included in god's heart and invited to be deliverers of others from their exile It's with the confidence that you and I understand the circumstances of life that will first and foremost be baptized into us as beloved children of God and help us to look differently at the world, at our neighborhoods with new eyes. What about that man you always see at the mailbox who looks worried when the bills arrive? What about that woman who's walking her dog in the telltale scarf of chemotherapy? What about that harried-looking dad at the bus stop who returns his kids to the neighborhood after he's had them for the weekend? We can find out their names, learn their stories, tell them of Christ's love, share the great news that they were created and formed, that they are precious, loved, and they don't need to be afraid. And we gather them too into a community of faith that ends the exile and opens the family. Did you see that the Gerber baby for 2018 has been named? Did you see him? He's 18 months old from Dalton, Georgia. He was elected out of 140,000 children to be the perfect baby and he has Down syndrome. He has the most captivating little smile and those who are from Gerber said this every year we choose the baby who best exemplifies best exemplifies Gerber's long standing heritage of recognizing that every baby is a Gerber baby we're beginning to get it George H.W. Bush was pictured outside a flower garden in Kennyport, Maine, holding a two-year-old child that came up in his funeral service. He's wearing the same outfit, polo shirt and pants as this child with the same haircut, which is with none. Bush had learned that the boy, the son of one of his secret service agents, had learned that he had leukemia, and while he was in therapy, he had lost all of his hair. So the detail had all shaved their heads, as had President Bush. There was a teacher this week on a plane talking about low-income students. She's one of those chatty types that never hushes that talks you on the plane when you would rather be quiet. Well, her seatmate was captive and she told her all about her first grade class filled with low-income students and how many of them were homeless and arrived at school hungry. And at the end of the flight, the guy behind her taps on her and says, excuse me for eavesdropping, but I'd like to offer something for your children. He gave her a stack of bills, a hundred dollar bill was on the top. When she walked off the plane, others voluntarily put money in the pot as well. And when she left, there were $530 in her hand for her students. We're beginning to get it. We are not alone. God's children and God's people are alone. We are beloved. We belong to God. Don't let anyone feel the exile of this world when as a child of God, we can bring him home. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you rise and join in our closing hymn?